The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Hello and welcome to Baseball Barbacast, the only baseball podcast in the world. Who knows? I guess we'll never know. I'm Jake Mintz. That's Jordan Schusterman. And did Corey Seager do something interesting? I will say, Jake, uh, good morning. Happy Monday. Hi. It did feel like when I saw that clip, I was like, wow, our discussion about how Corey Seager won't even want to take the microphone has aged terribly. Because yeah. here he goes on stage in front of reportedly 500,000 plus people Wow! in the Arlington parking lot uh, extravaganza that was the Rangers World Series parade and say, send his shots towards Alex Bregman and say, ha, 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 we won the World Series and you didn't in your face. Uh, on this episode of Baseball Barbercast, we're going to talk about that for 30 seconds. And then we have to flip our brains wow. into off-season mode. We've been talking about the postseason, every pond for the last month. We have so much news we have neglected. We have Pobo news. We have manager news. We have retirements. We have actual transactions, trades, options being picked up, declined. All these things have happened. And free agency opens officially today, Jake, wow. on November 6th. But if you want like the full Otani, Matt Chapman, Blake Snell, that's not happening today. So that's good. We're going to push that to Wednesday. Um, there's plenty of time this winter to talk about all the free agents. Uh, but this one is going to be a kind of a grand housekeeping of all the things we missed and other pieces of news uh, and some gold gloves chat at the end. If Otani signs before our Wednesday pod, we'll eat that. Yeah, that's on us. That's like totally on us. If we if we said, eh, there's not going to be any, that's fine. We will handle that accordingly. But for now, we have so many things that have happened that I'm sure people wanted to hear us talk about, and we are going to finally do that. But finally, let's let's close the book officially on the, the Texas Rangers. They had their parade. Uh, yep. heard from multiple people that it was both very cool because, again, it was so many people. And the, one of the advantages of doing it in a bunch of parking lots is you have a lot of room for a lot of people, which is great. And I think there were some great performances and, you know, on stage, it was great. Happy for Nathaniel Lowe, who seemed to be the most drunk. Um, easy all, pick. Easy pick. All these things are great. Uh, but, you know, yeah, good for the Rangers. And 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 the Corey Seager thing, while we did say on Friday, like, oh, he's not going to say anything interesting. It seems like his line, you know, back towards Alex Bregman was very clearly prompt. Like this, I, there is no chance that this was his idea. Yeah. But credit to him for delivering the line anyway. Just some context. After the Astros won the division, Alex Bregman was recorded uh, by the team Twitter account. And this video was posted saying, people said, what would happen if the Astros didn't win the division? I guess we'll never know. And then he popped the Champagne. Mm -hmm. So it's clear that this line irked some within Rangerland enough. Mm -hmm. There is no shot in a million years. That saying this was Corey Seager's idea. No. No way. No. That, not, not a shot. It was clearly the idea of multiple Rangers on stage who told him to say this in advance, and he did it. If yes. you look at Austin Hedges' face, he's like right behind, the shock and joy that Corey Seager actually did this and said this is really invigorating and makes up for a lot of his dullness. Like I agree Corey with that. Stillness. The the tip to me is like, so he he says his probably more boring words, and then he says, "Oh, one more thing," and then you can see him like 
He has like his hands in his pocket. He's like kind of nervous. He's like already sort of turning back and he's like, I got to do this, which, hey, respect. Like it's still a great line and he will be considered <laughs> like that will be remembered by Rangers fans forever. And I would say that's the last big takeaway from Corey Seager for this is while it's not like we didn't know how good he was, them winning and him being the face of this and him him being the one to deliver this. Like this is the thing. It, Corey Seager didn't have to be the one to deliver this line. Right. You know, it didn't. Ha- it didn't have to be him. That could have been Nathaniel Lowe. That could have been whatever. But like, he's the Ranger now. He is the guy, and so he earned it. He's the guy. You know, when they're going, they're doing the meet and greets, and there's lines down the street for days that are waiting to see him. And he's in the. You know, they do like though. He goes and he's in the, in the Raising Cane's drive-through, and he's like, "I'm Corey Seager. You know, can I take your order?" Like all those things. Like <laughs> he's now. It's it's funny to have the guy leave Los Angeles and become more famous, but like that's very clearly happening. Um, and that will be interesting to see how he kind of manages that. I don't think it's going to change it very much, but it is nice to see him at least playing along with now being kind of the franchise dude for the Texas Rangers, which he will be now for the next, you know, eight more seasons. Um, so good for Corey Seager. Good for the Rangers. Congratulations to you all. But Chris Young, sorry, bud. You're back on the clock. It's time to make your team better. And that is going to be uh, how we talk about you for the remainder of this winter. Jordan, do you hear this noise? Yeah, do it. Do you Close hear this? that book, baby. This mm. is a physical book. Yes. I'm holding it in my hands. It is uh, River of the Gods by Candace Millard. Uh, genius, courage, and betrayal in the search for the source of the Nile. Nothing oh. to do with baseball, presumably. Okay. However, it is relevant because the book has officially been closed and on the now. 2023 season. And now, let me reach over to my shelf. Are you opening a different book? How do we, the, the sound of an opening of a book is a little different. It's, is that going to come across on the microphone? Here we go. I'm going to try and open this book. Okay. Oh. It's really hard to open a book with sound. Let's with sound. It. That's what I'm saying. Maybe you Here like flip the pages. Yeah. All right. The book is open. The hot stove uh, has been turned on. Deacon King Con by James McBride. Highly okay. Welcome to <laughs> Baseball Barba Book Club. We appreciate it, Jake. Um, we have a lot of different categories of news that we need to review. We have some Pobo news. We have some manager news. We have retirement news. We have non-retirement news. We have some actual transactions that we're going to talk about. But let's begin with a lot of the stuff that has kind of happened over the last month while we've been focused on postseason baseball. And a lot of that is involved with, because the while the hot stove for the players does not begin until today, basically, or at least until the World Series ends, the managers and you know front office jobs, that conversation, those conversations are happening during October and basically being finalized during the off days. And we still have a bunch of manager jobs open. So let's first get the Pobo news out of the way. Yeah. You want to do that first? Yeah. So if there's one thing that captures the attention of Boston in October, like <laughs> postseason baseball, it's a Pobo search. Yeah. Pobo president <laughs> That's what they of baseball. Wanted. That's exactly what they wanted. You know, all this the the dudes from Southie were coming out mm-hmm. and and cheering on Craig Breslow in the conference. Yes. It was huge. Perfect. Uh, Craig Breslow. Let me let's back up. Chaim Bloom, member of the tribe, friend of the show, was given the the old heave heave ho. They said, "Hey, thanks for coming out. Uh, you didn't win enough, even though you were barely here, and some things got better." Todaraba, but no. Yes. And that was that. And so the, the the Red Sox embarked on a search. It appears that Craig Breslow may not have been their first choice. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Craig Breslow, not that he isn't highly qualified, and we're going to get into why he makes a ton of sense as a candidate in a second. But like when it's the Red Sox especially, there's a lot of people asking around about this job. Like this is not a job search that can really go quietly. Yeah, And so we got a lot of reports about a lot of different candidates that were being asked and then we're turning it down and all, so many different former GMs and current GMs and assistants and all these different people. And uh, so many people were turning it down. And the the sense I got from the people, you know, covering this on a regular basis, like Alex Beer and, you know, Chris Cotillo and these Red Sox reporters was basically like, you know, the Red Sox believe we have this amazing job. It's the GM of the Red Sox. Like who wouldn't want to do this, Right. Except it seems like a lot of people were looking at the job with a combination of what, what just happened to Bloom with the way that the ownership kind of treated him with 
obviously the division with obviously kind of an inconsistent record on how much are we spending from a year to year basis. And a yeah. lot of people looked at their current job and said, you know what, like this, that's not as attractive as you would think. And I think that that did say something um, about, about kind of where they're at. And so when push came to shove, they called another Yale graduate who celebrates Hanukkah. And they hit up Craig Breslow to be not their president of baseball operations. No, not their POBO and not their GM either. Their CBO, their chief baseball officer. Chief. Yes, Yes, which I just, I find that fascinating. Um, I don't, uh, I don't know what the, is chief supposed, and that's what Bloom was too. So this isn't a change. Yeah. It's, it's clearly replacing. And I, I don't know if they're the only one with a, with a chief, uh, but I, I am interested in that. I, I would like to to know what the distinction is there. Is that considered higher? Is that does that still leave room to hire a president above or below? I don't know. Uh, but the point is, is that Craig Breslow is brought in, and you mentioned, okay, yeah, another, you know, uh, guy from Yale. Like, okay, my thought is we have another former player GM slash Pobo slash Chibo, whatever you want to call it, right? And especially when you compare it to. Who did we just watch win the World Series, right? Chris Young, the former journeyman pitcher who went to Princeton. Uh, now, Craig Breslow is only six feet tall. So in that sense, mm. we have some issues. But in general, his reputation, whereas Chris Young's kind of journey going through the league um, and going, you know, working on the league side and then kind of becoming the kind of apprentice under John Daniels and then become the GM – Breslow's kind of been in the in the in the weeds of the front of front offices, especially with the Cubs recently as a pitching strategist, more in player development side of things, and that's really interesting to see him kind of make that move to the all encompassing player acquisition, which is obviously Correct. the job of of the Pobo or the Chief. Now, Craig Breslow, when he was working for the Cubs, was working remote. Hmm. Interesting, and that is notable. Working remote rules. Because you don't have to live in the city where your team is. And being restricted to that city, it, it, it's a tough balance, right? Because you want to be in the mix. You want to have sway and influence. But if you want to work remote, it's really hard to have both those things. Craig Breslow did. And that speaks to something about him. And now that he's going to he, – he, he's been living in Massachusetts. That's the thing. Yeah. Like yeah. So now he just gets to stay there and run the Red Sox. I can't begin to pretend like I know anything about Craig Breslow beyond what people <laughs> say about him. The one interesting thing is that he is parroting a lot of the same things about sustainability that Chaim Bloom was saying when he was hired. And so it will be interesting to see whether Breslow is given more uh, dough and more leash to really go for it in the short term and make some stupid good moves. Yeah, and I just think I still think too that that my biggest takeaway is yeah, just another player. And I don't know, I I don't know the degree to which disconnects between Bloom and the players and Alex Cora was overstated, understated, whatever. But you know, this dude was on the 2013 Red Sox. Like that is for baseball players. Like that's something that they will probably appreciate at the very least, right? Um, not that I don't think Bloom was doing a pretty good job, but like there's versions of that that clearly matter. Um, to a lot of players. I think about, again, sorry, I know we closed the book on the Rangers. I think about Max Scherzer being asked about Chris Young, and he's like, yeah, it's the first time I've had a GM that was a, a, a you know, an opponent, a competitor, a fellow player. Like, and like how kind of cool that was and how that was a different experience for him. Max Scherzer had a ton of GMs, right? And so I thought that was that was super interesting um, perspective, and I'm sure that there are players that feel that way too. But to your point, it, it's good. it's still a matter of what is Boston's ownership actually committed to at this point? Because they've been so inconsistent with that uh, through and through. That is a good transition to the next Pobo job, which we just heard about, which is, I think, literally being announced like right now, which is the Marlins. We mentioned this briefly during the postseason that there was clearly a disconnect between Kim Ang and Bruce Sherman, the owner, uh, regarding her kind of future with the organization in terms of the structure and hierarchy of the front office. They, The reports suggest that Bruce Sherman wanted to hire someone above her as a pobo because she was at the GM role. And she decided like, no, like I, I've, I should be the one running the show here as she's earned in a lot of ways. And she decided like, this isn't a situation that I am so comfortable with anymore. So she leaves. They need to find a new GM. They hire Peter Bendix, who's been the GM under Eric Neander uh, in Tampa Bay. If you've never heard of Peter Bendix, I 
I mean, the degree to which this person is Peter Brand in Moneyball is like laughable. Um, the first time you watch him talk, you'll be like, this is, I feel like I'm, I'm watching a character. Like, this is unbelievable. Uh, but he's been around forever. I mean, this is one of those guys that just has been working in front offices since he was like 21 and has risen to a fairly prominent role with Tampa Bay over the last few years. And clearly, as many front offices are, who are behind in a lot of ways, they want to be like, oh, just get someone from the Rays. And this is an example of that. It's clear that Bruce Sherman, the owner of the Marlins, wanted the easy route of sustainability. And I think it is fair to believe Kim Ang is not going to implement raised land, right? That's not her bag. And that's okay. And she's been there for long enough that they know that. If they want someone to implement the raised Brewers, Orioles now, Guardians, ruthless yep. guardians method of, you know, low cost sustainability. They have to go outside the organization for that. Yeah. When they sat down with her, they were probably like, this is what we want it to look like. We're going to mm-hmm. hire someone to do this. She is totally well within her rights to tell them to go fuck off and pound sand. And for the Marlins ownership to <laughs> try and hire someone above Kim Ang. After she inexplicably, unbelievably got them a postseason berth without a you know without that much support, yeah, is insulting, embarrassing, yeah, and indicative of a lot of the misogyny and sexism that still exists in the game. Like I don't, yeah, I don't know if an ownership group would have done this to a dude. To be honest, no, and and here's the thing: what's so ridiculous is like there were. There are things the Marlins clearly still need a lot of help with. And they Correct. fired their scouting director. Like there are and, and the moves that that the non-raised moves, which is going out and making aggressive trades for Josh Bell and Jake Berger, like those moves worked and like Kim Ang absolutely nailed those. Like that's awesome, right? So I don't understand why we can't build around that and add people around under. her, under her, whatever. Like that's the part that like feels Correct. like the sensible way to improve and balance your organization moving forward. Instead, he said they pissed her off, rightfully so. She decides to leave. And then now he's like, oh, just kidding. Now we're going to just do something completely different. Like, let me just press the former Ray's GM right. button. Right. right. Um, and that's, it's disappointing from from the Kim Ang yeah. perspective, but I understand it from her perspective too. And I, I respect that, but we'll see. Because now it's like, all right, great. Are the Marlins just going to go back to trying to be good with a $80 million payroll? Probably, but again, they ha- they still have so much more to fix from a draft and development standpoint yeah. that I don't honestly know Peter Bendix's reputation, how much he was involved in that r- with regards to Tampa Bay. Because that's where Miami is still so weak. Yeah. So weak. So It's weak. crazy how optimistic the vibe was around this franchise like a month ago. They were playing the Phillies in the playoffs and yeah. – they have found a way to yeah. bungle all of that yeah. good. There's still yeah, there's still parts of this roster I like and like I'm I don't think but it's just like and, and I think Peter Benning is a smart dude who who is probably gonna improve a lot of the major league processes and all those things. But again, like the the it's rot the rot is very deep in this organization. Like there are so many things at the lower levels that have to be fixed for them to actually get to that level. And in some bizarre way, it's almost like the Mets, but there's way f- <laughs> slimmer margin for error because David Stearns can come in and get literally whatever the hell he wants. Yeah. I don't know if that's gonna be true uh for the new Marlins front office. But Peter Bendix, uh, I am glad that this will mean we will have more Peter Bendix talking on TV because it's very funny. Anyway, let's move on from the Pobos and the Chiefs and the GMs to the actual managers, where since we last talked, we have only one new manager in place. Five jobs remain open. Bob Melvin is now the manager of the San Francisco Giants. This was a story that was very difficult to ignore while it was happening because it was it was patently absurd. This, just to remind people that the timeline, Padres, horrible, disastrous season. I guess they play well in September. They technically only missed the postseason by a few games. But when the season ends, we assume, okay, that was a catastrophe. There's no way Rip that Bob up. Melvin and A.J. Preller are both going to be back next year. There is no chance. And then the Padres came out and announced... All is well. We're considering things, but every they'll be back. Like we're in a we're committed to making sure that this doesn't happen again. Blah blah blah. 
two weeks later. Well, uh, uh, when that yeah. happens, everyone's like, what? Yeah. What? Like, <laughs> really? Yeah. Like Peter Seiler put out a statement that essentially said nothing. Normally when you get the big fancy graphic of like team statement from owner and, you know, principal chair, whatever. And instead the, the graphic and the, the statement was like, Peter Seiler was like, everything's fine. It's like, okay. No jelly in the donut. Two weeks later. There's reports because the Giants are, you know, they fired Gabe Kapler and they're hiring. And then suddenly it's just like, oh, yeah, the Giants want Bob Melvin. And then like two days later, it was like, okay, Giants hire Bob Melvin. <laughs> it's like, I mean, even like a day before that, Preller was like, yeah, no, like we're good. We're we're chilling. And then apparently it seems like the perspective from the Padres is because they let him interview, they don't have to pay him. So there's a way they could have, he was still under contract. So they could have like blocked him, but then they would have had to be, if they were going to fire him and pay him, they're like, great, you take our manager division rival. That'll make us feel better for some reason, because we apparently wanted this outcome to begin with. Bob Melvin's like, sweet. I could go back to the Bay area, you know, manage the team that I grew up loving and played for and all those things. And it's a great story for Bob Melvin. Yeah. I mean, I'm happy for him. Big win. But from the, from the Padres side of things, I'm just like, what the hell happened here? What is going on? The Padres seemed too preoccupied with the optics of this and not concerned enough with the reality where yeah. it it seems like they knew pretty quickly that any tasty open job Bob Melvin would throw his hat in the ring for and then would leave and it would look like Bob Melvin left instead of the Padres firing him. But you end up in the same spot, which is yeah. you don't have a manager. Well, that and again, from an optics standpoint, it still looks stupid, right? Yeah. Because like, I understand that Bob Melvin's rep did clearly take some kind of hit during this season. Not universally, yeah. but like there are definitely some people that watch what happened this year and would be like, that was weird. Like he had to have something to do with that. Now it's not going to mean it's his fault, but it didn't help his his cause, right? But there were also clearly a lot of smart people that were just be like, that's shit he can't fix. You know, there's all kinds of stuff wrong there and that was not Bob Melvin's fault and that makes sense. Now let's just jump quickly from the Giants perspective here. The most interesting thing that happened in the lead up to this hiring was Farhan talking about how he wanted the, that job to be someone that can recruit. He said that very specifically and we think about what happened last offseason. I think the Giants again are going to be a team we're talking about a lot this winter. Because I don't think they felt like, all the reporting suggests that Gabe Kapler is not someone that was making great impressions on new players, whether Have that was players that did end up on the team or players that they wanted to end up on the team. Have you talked to Gabe? Have I talked? I mean, not as much as you have, but I've been around him and it's, he's, he, is, he is a singular uh, baseball personality. I think I, if he recruited me, I'd be like, heck yeah, but I'm a weirdo. And I you've think gone back, baseball, it's so funny thinking about how much you've gone back and forth on Kapler, but mostly pro. I'm mostly pro with yeah. the Phillies and whatever, but you get yeah. it. I get it. I get why people are con yeah. on him. And I think yeah, yeah. that the issue with Kapler is that he doesn't relate to players particularly well, which is hilarious, be because which is funny because he played for a while because he is so eccentric Yes, and players, I think in 40 years, Kapler will be a great manager. You know what I mean? Like now there's still too much. Why is this manager being a me guy? Yeah. Like he's the manager, right? right? He should not be a me guy. Whereas in like English soccer, we have already reached a point in that culture where managers are very self-centered and they're the story and they're trying to deflect all the attention. But when you're managing an anonymous Giants roster, you're not really deflecting attention from like Tyro Estrada. Right. It's not like That's the press is, you know, down Mike Yastrzemski's throat <laughs> and you have to, <laughs> which it is. But that goes back, that goes back to, again, the front office conversation, which is just how Farhan has built this team. And again, how the bizarre nature of them having the 2021 season and then having it come back to earth and then whatever the hell happened this year, really unfun, just unpleasant team to watch on many levels. If Logan Webb wasn't pitching, it was not going to be a fun time to watch Correct. the Giants. That that was generally true this year. They were not bad, but they were just not a fun watch. Melvin brings in a level of credibility and confidence because I think most players, I think would I agree. I think Bob Melvin, they're not going to care what happened with the Padres. They're going to be like, oh, great, amazing. Oh, and the players that are there, when you compare it to what Kapler was, yeah. it's going to feel 
Great. Totally. Now, the one concern I have, just to close the book on the Giants, how the staff is going to look. Yes. Yes. Because there's a chance it could be a bit Frankenstein-y where you have half of it being Bob Melvin's dudes and half of it is the Gabe Kapler mega coaching staff no one played <laughs> holdovers right right including like friend of the show kai korea d3 mm-hmm. icon mm-hmm. where it's like how's that gonna mix all these like super forward thinking never played yeah but- interacting with like bob melvin's more old school people like that but could create some true discord. true but remember who did bob melvin have all the success with before it went to the padres oakland right it's not like he's completely unfamiliar with that stuff, but I agree with you because the Giants coaching staff was in its own category of progressive, clearly, on yeah. many levels. Like, and that will certainly be a change. And so to see, it's always interesting when there's a new manager to see who gets kept and who moves on, right? It's not yeah. necessarily a reflection of the quality. It's more a reflection of the personalities and who they believe they can work with together. Yep. And it's one of the few times we actually kind of get that insight. So I think that's interesting. With, but with big old Bob moving to the Bay, we have five open jobs as of yes. right now. Yes. The Angels, <laughs> Phil Nevin, not renewed. The Astros, Dusty Baker, retired. The Guardians, Tito Francona, stepped down. The Mets, Puck Showalter, asked very forcefully <laughs> to depart the premises. Bob Melvin drove upstate. Yes. Of these five jobs, Padres, Angels, Astros, Guardians, Mets, please rank these, Jordan, by how much you would want them. And that includes where you have to live, Jordan. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, I don't think people necessarily care that much about that. Let's focus on the baseball team. Fine. Okay. First of all, these this is a conversation that I feel like we're going to have some – these jobs, I think at least one of them will be filled this week. Yeah. I feel pretty confident in saying that. Yeah. Um, because you don't want to have no manager as you go into free agency, obviously, right? This is why Bob Melvin, the thing happened, came together really quickly. All those things, great. Um, how would I rank these jobs? I mean, the only thing I know is the Angels are last. So who is... So let's talk about... Disagree. Let's talk about the other ones. I, disagree. I think... Disagree. You disagree. Okay. I disagree. Okay, okay so I'll, I'll, let me... Here's my ranking. Astros are still one, I think, pretty comfortably. Disagree. Uh, they're my okay. last. Uh, they're your last. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Oh, oh, I think I see where you're getting at this. Okay. Because you're going to think about like, oh, the glory. Oh, who, who can I, you know, become a legend? Yeah, all right. Great. Rank yours and then I'll tell you mine. Great. Houston. I'm still going New York second. Oh. Padres is so hard because I know I'm probably getting... Remember, the Padres have been through more managers since Preller became the GM than I think any other team. <laughs> And so, but I also could see it as I'll, I'll win this battle. Like there's no way Preller can survive another one of these. I'll go Astros, Mets, Padres, Astros, Mets, Guardians, Padres, Angels. Okay. So Padres still fourth. Uh, I will go Mets, Padres, Guardians, Angels, Astros. Okay. So I think the Angels job is pretty bad. But you're going to get to develop a lot of young players and there will not be a lot of expectations. Like Who? you're going to get what young players. They're going to come <laughs> up. Zach Neto and Nolan Shanuel. Okay. Like this team's going to stink. Yeah. Okay. And so especially if you don't get Otani back, the expectations yeah. are really low. You get to live in Southern California. The Astros job mm-hmm. right now, Jeff Bagwell mm-hmm. is going to be in your shit. Mm. You know what? You're right. I'm going to move. I'm not moving the Astros to the bottom, but I'm yeah. definitely moving them down. I think Cleveland is actually a job I'm now more interested in. Yeah. From the standpoint of Cleveland Wayne? is your best chance at winning manager of the year. <laughs> uh, yeah. Every, every year. Because you have a fantastic staff, front office, all these things, but you're never going to have all the good, famous baseball players. So if you win, you're in a shitty division. So I think Cleveland actually now goes above yeah. the Mets. I'll say yeah. Mets, Guardians. Yeah. Padres, Angels, Astros for me. Yeah. The Guardians job is is sneaky good. And yeah. if you win there, if you win the whole thing, that's the other forever. Thing. Oh, you know what? Yeah. Cleveland's number one. Because the Mets job, like I that is gonna come with like the, the other problem with Houston is like you are expected to be in the World Series immediately. Right. Yeah. 
that's I want the Mets job because I live here. Okay. Yeah. And I have so much irrational confidence. Yeah. And I think that my Riz will play in New York. You know, <laughs> okay. I think I can stand up there in front of the media, many mm-hmm. of whom are my friends, and 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 convince them that we have a winning ball club. Also, another thing I like about the Mets, you get a lot of different types of players on that roster. True. You do have the young guys. You have the famous all-stars. You have, yeah. Yeah. I'm My concern about the Mets is, and the Padres for that matter, certainly the Angels. We've been talking a lot about pitching changes. As it stands right now, I, long offseason ahead, the, the pitching staffs for these two teams, I mean, it's it's not going to be a fun watch. If I'm the manager of the Angels, mm-hmm. I have a rule. No mid-inning pitching changes. No, yeah. We're not, what's, what's the point? Yeah. We're not trying to win the World Series yeah. here. All right, let's just finish the frame, and then we'll get you out of there. Uh, final. My final ranking is uh, Cleveland, oof, Cleveland, San Diego, because living in San Diego is awesome. Cleveland, San Diego, Houston, New York. Anaheim. There's my final answer. New York, Cleveland, San Diego, Anaheim, Houston. There you go. Uh, last thing on the managers. Uh, then we're going to move to some retirements. Craig Council is the domino, Jordan. He is he is the fulcrum of this so, situation. So Craig Council, who is apparently a finalist for both the Guardians and Mets jobs. Um, and Brewers job. And which I is guess technically Brewers job. open. The Brewers job. So that's what we should say. Craig Council. He's not under the manager, contract. He's but, not under contract with the Brewers yes. as of right now. That's a good point, though. I, I Honestly, that's so funny. I didn't even think about that. So then, yes, the Brewers' job is technically also maybe going to be open because, as you just mentioned, he is the person that is going to influence a lot of these things. I'm fascinated by both Craig Council and Carlos Mendoza, the Yankees bench coach, as finalists for the Mets and Guardians' job. I think that those are two very different jobs, as we just kind of talked about, but also I'm just curious about the interview process. At the same time, you now have David Stearns running the Mets and not Billy Epler, right? But I am very confident that Steve Cohen is a lot more involved in the Mets manager hiring than the Dolans are in Cleveland. I am very certain of that. And so that is, is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? That's apparently up to Craig Council. Council being the key, he could stay in Milwaukee, he could go to the Mets, he could go to the Guardians, or he could take a year off and watch his two sons play Big Ten baseball. Yeah. Yeah, Brady is at uh, Minnesota. And I don't know, is the other one at Michigan, I think? Other kids in transfer? Michigan, yeah. He's in Michigan. Yeah. So okay. it's like, those are all options. I'm skeptical that he will take the Guardians job. What's the point? Okay, so Council's from Milwaukee, played for Milwaukee, legend in that city. Like, he is a big deal there. Why would he move to a somehow even smaller market, smaller payroll team <laughs> that's not in his hometown? Right. It, I I guess, right. In some ways, it's like, well, he's the per- from the Cleveland perspective, you know exactly why they, you would ask him. But from oh, Craig Council's yeah. perspective, yeah, I, I agree with that. It doesn't make um, any sense. Now, the Mets is different, right? You get to go be in New York and it's going to be an incredible amount of money. Right, probably. He didn't grow up a Mets Stearns. fan like David Stern. So <laughs> it's not like he has and the I same heard, level of attachment. I heard he's got, and this is not like he has a bad relationship with David Stearns at all. He's closer with Arnold than Stearns. Mm-hmm. And so the idea that Stearns is going to rip him away based mm-hmm. solely on the history between the two of them mm-hmm. isn't totally true. Yep. I also think that I'm sure part of this is, again, the Mets are still, we assume, oh, are they taking a step back for the next couple of years? Did Billy Epler lie to Max Scherzer so that they were able to trade him? And then they're just going to spend a bunch of money and try and win again next year? That's also possible. So I'm sure Craig Council will also want to know, like, hey, like, are we about to trade Pete Alonso or are we trying to win? Because um, that would all, to, to the Brewers, that would be funny. Um, so there's versions of that that I'm sure will impact it. But there's a bunch of, I mean, there's a ton of interesting names, but we'll talk about them when yeah. they actually get hired. Let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we will talk about retirements, non-retirements, and a few actual transactions that have been transacted since the end of the World Series. Hey everyone, producer Chris here with a brand new housekeeping note about our merch. 
Basically, we have a bunch of new stuff. So if you've been looking for a baseball barbercast themed beanie or bucket hat, or even a t-shirt with one of those cool pockets on the chest, well, you can stop looking and start buying because they're all available right now, just in time for winter. Just go to podswag.com slash baseball and don't leave yourself clothesless this winter. That's P-O-D-S-W-A-G dot com slash baseball. And welcome back to Baseball Barbicast. Jake Mintz, Jordan Schusterman. Don't fret. Neither of us are retiring. We're here no. for the long haul. Um, but a couple people did. And let's begin yeah. with Dusty Baker, who retired. Uh, uh, is he done? Do we really think yeah, he's yeah, done yeah, done? Yeah, yeah. You just mentioned... Um you mentioned Craig Council, you know, wanted to go watch his kids maybe play Big Ten baseball. Dusty Baker's son, Darren, is like going to be a major leaguer next year um, with the Nationals. And so I think that I think Dusty's done. I think that we thought Dusty was done after he won. And then it was like, what am I going to not? I mean, I might as well come back and manage this awesome team. But he what he's done it like it's a legendary life. I he, he deserves his entirely own podcast, and maybe we'll get to that at some point this offseason. Maybe we'll have a guest to talk about Dusty. Like he he's a legend. I I love that it it all came together because the thing too, especially in relation to Bochi, when we've thought about Bochi, wow, he came out of retirement and he he brought them to the you know to the World Series immediately, and like that's awesome. And Bochi's a legend too. And when we were comparing them in the ALCS, I think all those narratives are very interesting. But to think about Dusty coming back and managing that 2020 season, let yeah. alone 2021, and then 2020, like to see him go through all of that and finally get there, like let's not forget how awesome that felt. I think for so many people to watch him achieve that, and I, I, I'll, I'm, I'm so glad that he had this second, uh, you know, not second. I mean, he's had so many attempts, Fifth. but like. For for our for for, the, for our purposes, you know, being fully cognizant of of the Dusty Baker experience and watching him interact with this generation's players and have success was was really cool. So, so did you see his quote? He went on the uh, a podcast with Charles Barkley and Ernie Johnson. Did you see this? <laughs> no, but I I didn't. But did oh, this like dude. just I I don't know how recently. Yeah, was, but this is crazy. Ready? Quote: We had a lot of success here, Ernie and Charles, and then the last couple of months weren't very pleasant. Because we weren't 10 games ahead. You spoil people. They think you're supposed to win this every year running away. And it's not like that. Every year's different. There was a whole bunch of criticism from 30-year-olds and bloggers and tweeters that I'm not doing this and I don't know that. And I told my wife, you know, I'm kind of tired of this and tired of the scrutiny. And if I could go manage and show up at 6.30 for a 7 o'clock game and leave 30 minutes after the game and not do the pre- and post-game interviews... I could manage for another four or five years. Wow. But, like, I'm not. So, Jordan, yeah. just to be clear, we're 28. <laughs> so, we're good. Oh, whew. Yeah. Um, I mean, I get that. Like, that's the part of it. But that's part of it, too. Like, the fact that he did was willing to put up with the bullshit that comes along with being a manager in 2023. Like, I, I, I don't think he's wrong. Like, not that I always agree with Dusty's decisions or that, you know, he's complaining, oh my God, all this scrutiny. He's like, I, in some sense, I can roll my eyes at that. In the other sense, it's like, yeah, clearly that's different than what it was for many of the other years yeah. he was doing it. And if that felt different to him and he's a, a much older, then I can understand that being kind of tiring. For him, it's just simply, I don't need this shit anymore. Yeah, he absolutely I, does not. That being said, there's like f- four beats in Houston. <laughs> like it, you're not in New York, no, you know, I, it, I know. it's not. I, I will say, I think the first part about like the expectations of, yes. yeah, dude, just like go to the World Series again. What's the big deal? Like, yeah, that's, that's, that's that lot. is an absurd expectation. So I'm sure that was a lot uh, to literally manage. And he did it beautifully. And Dusty's a legend. <laughs> and we wish him the best. I love the idea that any criticism from a 30 year old is invalid simply because well well and also it's like it's also one of those things where i'm like if i'm dusty baker like i don't even i couldn't give why do you care the the smallest of a shit right like i (laughs) but i know he's saying well i still have to go out there before and every game before and after every game and listen to it. it's like all right dude he said there was a lot of criticism from 30 year olds bloggers and tweeters but he didn't say anything about jackoffs that's true that's true which means we're definitely in the clear so, uh, all right. Thanks, Dusty. Appreciate it. Congratulations on retirement. Nelson Cruz, Jake. Nelson Cruz retired. Nelson Cruz actually currently playing baseball. 
uh, in the Dominican Winter League. Doesn't he's sound doing, retired to me. <laughs> doesn't look very retired to me. Um, he's doing essentially a tour playing at every Dominican Winter League ballpark to be like, hey, I had a great career. Thanks, hometown fans. Uh, and then he'll he'll officially be done. It was kind of a sad end. Um, there's like a version where he kind of hangs it up a little bit sooner. He didn't get the proper like send off in one place in the way that some of these other legends, not that he's necessarily going to be a Hall of Famer or anything, but because of the way that his career ended, bouncing around teams and, and clearly just losing a step and getting de- more than a step, not even a step. It's really about the bat speed and just how the offense declined. Like it, it wasn't the most graceful finish to a career. Uh, in the way that we've seen some of the other, you know, legends of of his generation, but he is a freaking I. As far as power hitters in our lifetime, I mean, he's right there. He's so distinct. And while there was <laughs> certainly a steroid suspension uh, mis- mixed in there, uh, he is beloved on so many levels by so many people from everything everything you could possibly want in an off the field person. Besides having been suspended for steroids, Nelson Cruz checks all those boxes. Nelson Cruz is the blueprint for how to make people forget or uh, rethink a steroid suspension, right? He treated people with kindness. He owned up to it. Now, again, let's be clear. He was always a beloved person. It's not like he was doing that to distract from the fact that he popped. I get that. He accepted fault. Mm-hmm. And responsibility. And that's just like a huge part of it. This dude had seven home runs. Or sorry. He had how many career home runs? As a 27-year-old, okay? He had, like he had 20, 22, 22 career home home runs. Yep. And he retires with 464 home runs. A legendary run in his 30s as a member of the Rangers, Orioles, and Mariners. I think that there is some karmic justice to him retiring the week after the Rangers win the World Series. Yes, that has certainly been <laughs> pointed out. I think that that uh, certainly feels in a very different way. It is a slight, a, a very different, but oddly similar feeling to looking at the Beltre picture. I know Nelson Cruz was generally beloved in in Texas, for sure. Uh, they don't. It's also one of those things where it's like, they ain't getting to that game without Nelson Cruz. <laughs> Legendary sure. postseason hitter. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's, it is also one as far as Mariners and Orioles legends, he is also right up there. I mean, the season he has in 2014 leads the league in home runs with 40. And I just remember so vividly everyone laughing at the Mariners signing him to a four-year deal. Like, oh my God, you're giving this guy coming off the steroid suspension. He's 34. He's a DH. He sucks in the outfit, all these things. And the dude was incredible every single season like what it's one of the best inexplicably one of the best free agent contracts of the 21st century was nelson (laughs) cruz signing with the mariners for four years uh he was amazing he was a a joy to watch and as you mentioned in his 30s 340 home runs in his 30s uh eighth most all time uh more than sammy sosa more than david ortiz more than mike schmidt more than albert pujols more than manny ramirez like this dude was one of a kind. So as uh, a Mariner, Cruz. Yeah. as a Mariner, he slashed 284, 362, 546 for a 908 OPS, a 148 OPS plus. Yeah. And like they missed like 20 games in four years. Yeah, he was amazing. <laughs> he He's Nelly's great. Uh, Boomstick, one of the best nicknames we've had. And uh, yeah, salute to Nelson Cruz. Um, Ian Kennedy retired. Congrats to Ian Kennedy. Let's move on to the non-retirements. Wait one second, Jake. just quickly on Ian Kennedy. Well, so I he, actually had a I had a good Ian Kennedy uh, fun fact. But Ian I, Kennedy is a footnote in our baseball lives, more or less. Ian Kennedy made a hundred million dollars. Yes, Ian Kennedy is. This was a very random. Again, why are we wasting any time on this uh, podcast with very limited amount of time on Ian Kennedy? Ian Kennedy was one of the rare guys who was like a starter and a closer for a, a long stretch. Like that is not that long of a list. I think I, I did a, a stack house search that was basically like a hundred say a hundred wins and fifty saves, and it's like fifteen guys ever. And Ian Kennedy is randomly one of them. But to your point, when you're able to do that and you're able to stick around for a long ass time, you're going to make a shit ton of money. And remember, he just got a World Series ring finally. So good for Ian Kennedy. Salute. Uh, all right, let's get to the non-retirements, Jake. 
These are more important. These are way more important and way more interesting. Let's do Clayton Kershaw first. Okay. Yeah. Clayton Kershaw announced uh, last week um, that he has already undergone shoulder surgery. And in his statement on Instagram, he said, now, first of all, we knew that clearly was something wrong with his shoulder. That has been true for a while. Um, and so that's not like, oh my God, what? He had shoulder surgery? Uh, but the fact that he, it's not like when his season ended, he was like, I'm going to get shoulder surgery. You know, that was not what we thought. But the fact that he did it, and in his statement, he said, I'm getting shoulder surgery with the intent to return to play at some point next summer. That is real news. Because we thought when the offseason began, after he got blasted off the mound by the Diamondbacks, okay, here we go again. Dodgers, Rangers, retirement. Dodgers, Rangers, retirement. And this news kind of changes that equation at least a little bit. So what was your reaction when you saw this? Clayton Kershaw, before this surgery, had never gotten surgery, which is remarkable for a professional athlete who has played that long. He has ne- he would never went under the knife, okay? Yeah. And so getting surgery of any kind is a grind and a commitment if it is somewhat elective, right? And he probably needed some sort of surgery if he ever wanted to like play catch with a child again because he was clearly in so much pain. But it is telling that he is willing to do a whole surgery, recovery, rehab process. That means that there is enough fuel in the tank. This is not simply a, oh, my back hurts. I need to take a nap and then I'll be good for next year. This is going to be a grueling timeline for him. And the difference, I would say the important thing to consider is... Okay, well, oh, does this feel familiar? Wow, didn't Justin Verlander just have Tommy John at 38? Tommy John at 38 is also was unprecedented, and Verlander coming back from that is amazing, and all those things are true. But Tommy John is very much a like that's a thing that people know how to come back. It's a very clear this is the rehab, whatever. Shoulder trouble in general is always scarier. It's true for younger pitchers. Like that's what ends pitchers' careers before they even get off the ground, is usually shoulder stuff more than elbow stuff. And in this case, you know, he is, what, 36, right? Uh, Thirty. He's going to be 36 in March. This is something where it is even less of a guarantee that he's going to come back. And so him saying he's intending to return is notable. Is it a guarantee that he will return? No. How does this impact whether he will sign a contract this winter at all? Or will he wait for next summer to know, can I actually pitch again? I think that's an interesting question. Does that change the, the likelihood which he goes to the Dodgers, goes back to the Dodgers, goes to the Rangers, whatever? I think it's also, it is unfortunate in a lot of senses because I think the Rangers conversation would be very interesting with the healthy Kershaw this time around, right? Because normally it's like, oh, Kershaw's going to go home and play for the shitty Rangers. Like, oh, how sweet. Like, well, that's not the case Might anymore. not be room for him in that rotation right now. <laughs> right. right, exactly. So so that's interesting. But but still, regardless of where, where it is, I still assume it would be between those two teams. Jordan, just quickly. Yeah. Kershaw, Scherzer, DeGrom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know. Well, I was also going to bring up Scherzer from the standpoint of, like, you mentioned Kershaw never getting surgery. Same with Scherzer, right? But, like, there's other ways that you're – Pitching can take a toll on your body, as we've seen with Scherzer. He's basically had every other possible injury that is not your elbow, you know, going kablooey. And so Kershaw clearly fits into that bucket as well. And the, the obvious thing to remember, too, is Kershaw just had a 2-4-6 ERA in the, in the uh, regular season, throwing 88, especially for the second half. But I think the biggest question with him is, if he did not, as I said, get blasted out of the stadium against the Diamondbacks, how much is that impacting this? I don't know if he'll ever admit it or if he ever would admit it. I'm sure he'll be asked that if whenever he talks to the media next. Although the the reality is, I don't think we're going to hear from him for a while. You know, he's not under contract. He doesn't have any obligation to talk to people. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll be wrong. Maybe, maybe we will hear from him more directly. But I think now we're just going to be in holding period. I think it's also, it wouldn't shock me if the Dodgers just announced they've signed him to a deal or a two-year deal or some sort of conditional situation. But that's kind of where I'm at with that. And I, I do wonder how how much that that taste in his mouth was like, I can't, I ain't going out on that because that was sad. Make sure you pre-order The Last of His Kind, Clayton Kershaw and the Burden of Greatness by friend of the show, Andy McCullough, the definitive biography on the Dodgers ace set 
to drop next May, yeah. Andy will come on the pod at some point and talk about Kershaw. One more non-retirement. Yes. Joseph Votto. Joseph Daniel. Here yes. is where we were at. He signed a 75-year contract 75 years ago, and it came due this winter. The Reds had a $20 million option on Votto or a $7 million buyout. At the uh, This season, Votto was fine as a part-time player. I believe he had, a, what, a 96 OPS plus? 99 OPS plus. The, the power showed up, but, you know, he hit, he hit 202 again. Yep. Totally fine. Like, if he was your bench bat, bench lefty, no problem at all on a decent mm-hmm. team. It became kind of clear down the stretch that the Reds were preparing to say goodbye to Votto and Votto was preparing to say goodbye to the team. There was uh, his last home game. They got a standing O, tipped the crowd. It was very emotional, whatever. It came out last couple of days. The Reds declined that $20 million option. Let's get one thing out of the way. The Reds are a cheap organization. Them declining Votto's option has absolutely nothing to do with that. He is not a $20 million player anymore. Not even yes. close. Not even. Votto knows this. He has yes. no illusions to this, mm-hmm. uh, uh, about this. So, yes. like, there are a lot of things you can critique the Reds for from a mm-hmm. financial standpoint. Not picking up a $20 million option on a 40-year-old first baseman is Part-time not one of platoon DH, Part-time. That's, that's not the issue. Now, also, but people say, oh, but this is how you go. This is how you say goodbye to a franchise legend. Like, Vano was perfectly satisfied with how this went. He did not want a send-off because he did not know what he wanted when the season ended, and he did not know exactly if he was going to come back to the Reds or not or find a way to come back to the Reds. The right. reason why, not just, I mean, of course, paying him $20 million doesn't make any sense, but the reason what is interesting that it does seem like they are closing the book on him actually coming back, and he, in the way that he's kind of posted and written and talked about that it does seem like his Reds tenure is over, even if his career isn't over, has to do with simply the roster. They have so many infielders, so many rookies. They were already struggling to get him playing time. They know he wants playing time. They know he believes he deserves more playing time than they can give him. And the Reds are no longer in a situation where they can just be giving him at-bats. He's fine. He There's a version where he can still be a useful player, but that's just not the situation that their roster is in. Now, you could say, well, come on. like Shouldn't they make room for him the way that he's a franchise legend? Whatever. They're on the same page about this. Is it sad that this is how it's ending in some respects? Yes, a, a little bit. But this is not, I, I just don't think this is any some grand controversy. However, what is interesting is that it does seem like Joey Votto is going to want to play in 2024 for a different baseball team. And where that is going to be is, I think, fascinating on many respects. Because the easy thing is, oh, well, Toronto, of course, well, Toronto. And, and Toronto does make sense immediately because you think, who do they just employ? Brandon Belt to be basically a righty mashing DH. And Joey Votto is going to cost a fraction of what Brandon Belt costs, who's just about to hit free agency. That makes some sense. Yeah. It's convenient. It would be really cool. Everyone, no one would be mad in Cincinnati if he goes to the Blue Jays, whatever. What's interesting is how much can he actually contribute to a team that wants to win? Because if he, if he is, if the number one goal is Joey Votto playing baseball again, is he willing to do that for a bad team? Yes. I don't know. And that is a different conversation than trying to get a ring. The yes. ring is not a priority for him at this point. He just wants to keep playing baseball. Yeah, the priority was to win a World Series with the Reds, and he accepts that that did not happen, right? He he said that the whole time. He said that was his hope, and that did not come to fruition, right? But now it's a matter of, I mean, there's a chance he goes to spring training and he just doesn't make the team. There's a chance nobody offers him a major league deal, right? It's possible we won't see him in another jersey officially, but he's going to try. And it'll be fascinating to see what team wants to bring him in. I'm sure there will be interest. Will there be major league deal interest? We're going to find out. Joey Votto, come to Baseball Barbacast. Let's take a very quick break. And when we return, we will zip through the options that have been picked up and not picked up and talk about one or two actual transactions before we say goodbye. And welcome back to Baseball Barbacast, Jake Mintz, Jordan Schusterman. Hey, Jordan, I have picked up your option. Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Was it was it a tough decision? Like, did you have to like talk about with with your with your with your squad, your inner circle? Yeah, uh, if you're my fiance and I talked about it over dinner last night. Do we want to pick up Jordan's option? The answer was yes. Oh, um, thanks, man. Options. How do they work? Very quickly. Mm-hmm. If you have a three year contract, mm-hmm. often there will be an option for a fourth year. 
that either the team, sometimes there are player options that the player could pick it up. There are team options that the team could pick up. There are mutual options. There are vesting options. Here are the options that happened in the last couple of days. If you have any thoughts, interrupt me. Here are the options that were picked up. Mark Canna was traded to the Tigers in the window between the end of the World Series and the option deadline. Traded to the Tigers and that his option was picked up by the Tigers. It would not have been picked up by the Brewers. Yes. So $11.5 million, I think for Mark Canna, makes a ton of sense. I think he's a really good veteran hitter. And the Brewers, he would have been like their second highest paid hitter. And that was not something they were going to do. And so instead of letting him go and just declining the option, they said, hey, let's find a trade. But they trade for a minor league pitcher. And for the Tigers, who were like kind of sneaky, I like had this like. Don't get into this now. Okay, sorry. Don't hurt yourself. Now. <laughs> That's fine. Point is, nice pickup for the Tigers. Makes sense for the Brewers to do that. And nice to see the Tigers already add someone. I think Mark Canna would have been a nice free agent pickup for someone too. But instead, he will be picked up and be a Detroit Tiger in 2024. Andrew Heaney exercised yeah. his player option. Yes. Yes. For the Rangers. It is a $13 million player option. Makes a lot of sense. His season was fine. He won a World Series. He's probably happy there. Yeah. Not much and more it, to say. In a super crowded pitching market, he wasn't getting more than $13 million next year. No chance. Uh, Josh Bell uh, picks up his player option, $16 million with Miami. This one a little bit more surprising because it's a weak hitter market. Um, I love to see this though. I'm really glad he's staying there for the Marlins. They're going to lose Jorge Soler in free agency for sure. Um, cause he, he's one of the best bats, but like, I love the fit there and I'm really glad that he's sticking around. Um, that just, it just made me happy. I'm, I'm glad. Tim Anderson. Yeah. His option was declined yeah. by the Chicago White Sox and he is officially a free agent, a very notable, memorable run with the Southside baseball outfit that ended in shame and scorn and really horrible offensive production. $16 million, or sorry, $14 million <laughs> option. Yeah. Um, kind of surprising that he wasn't traded at the deadline if they planned to option him. Also worth remembering that it's a different person running the team. Yes. Now, it yes. might have something to do with it, mm -hmm. but Anderson is a free agent. Yeah. Will be a fascinating free agent. We will talk about him much more. I mean, he was one of the worst players in baseball this year. You're basically wondering, is this a Cody Bellinger situation where everything went wrong and you still believe he can become an all-star again? Very possible. But he has a lot of questions. Uh, yeah. And I, I'm rooting. For, we all want to see TA get back to being an awesome major leaguer. Uh, but he was so bad that that's why it was a lot harder for the White Sox to, to commit to him uh, moving forward. Justin Turner declined a $13 million player option with the mm -hmm. Red Sox. He gets a $6.7 million, $6 million buyout from them. Corey Kluber had his option declined by the Red Sox for $11 million. Both those guys will be free agents. Mm -hmm. Zooming down the list here, uh, Marcus Stroman this opted was out of his contract. One. Yeah. So Stroman opting out of $21 million for 2024 is surprising because it's like, is he getting more than $21 million AAV next year? I don't think so. However, of course, Marcus Stroman is like, hell yeah, I can beat that. Like if anyone's going to believe in themselves, like maybe it would not put it past Marcus Stroman that his agent was like, yeah, dude, you should, you should opt into this. And he's like, no, fuck that. Like I'm Marcus Stroman. I'm the shit. And I get it. He was amazing for the first half. Like he is a very reliable, like his ERA is never, I mean, he was injured at the second half. Like I, I think Stroman could still be a good addition for someone, but this was in a crowded pitching market. I'm surprised that he did this. Speaking of pitching, Eduardo Rodriguez opting out of his contract with the Detroit Tigers. He had three years, $49 million left on the deal. You will see this joke before uh, or many times this winter. Uh, if he goes to the Dodgers now, that would be amazing. Uh, obviously, he vetoed the trade because he didn't want to get traded. He didn't want to leave Detroit in the middle of the year. I mean, it's his right, whatever. That's why you negotiate in. If you don't want to get traded, then you get to say you don't want to. If you want to leave in the winter, it's a lot easier to do that than in the summer. We will see. It seems like the Tigers are interested in keeping him. And so I'm sure, he, I don't think he was lying about being comfortable in Detroit, but there might be someone out there willing to pay him a lot more. Two more White Sox ones. Liam Hendricks had his $15 million option declined. He had Tommy John not expected to pitch until the end of this season. Mm -hmm. This was not a surprise. The White Sox were not going to, give him $15 million to rehab. Someone will, maybe even the White Sox. He will yeah. pitch in the big leagues again. Don't be worried. On the flip side of this, Mike Clevenger, mm 
mm-hmm. who was unfortunately really solid for the White Sox this year, declined his solid. Yeah. I said solid. Yeah. yeah. Solid is fine. Solid is fine. Yeah, yeah. Solid is he declined. Yeah. Solid's fine. Yeah. <laughs> solid's fine. He declined a $12 million, million mutual option. He will be a free agent. Someone, mm-hmm. I guess, will pay him. Yeah. Someone will, uh, someone will pay him. Yeah. Not great. Any, uh, yeah, there any were other a couple, big ones? Just a couple more pitchers. Um, the Padres, Nick Martinez and Michael Waka, both of those were team options that were declined. I tweeted about the Padres' current pitching staff. I don't know what the hell, who's going to be pitching for them in 2024. 45% of their innings are hitting free agency. That is just so many Padres questions that we will get into in future episodes. So those guys are gone. Hector Neris, he exercised a player opt-out. He'll, he had an amazing uh, relief season. He's pitched in more games over the last five years than I think any reliever in baseball. He will get paid with his splitter. And then the last one is Eddie Rosario. Eddie Rosario had his team option decline. Kind of a nice bounce-back season for him this year. Limited player, but a, an important part of the Braves that uh, will probably not be a part of the Braves moving forward. Gold gloves. Well, well all those dudes who just became free agents, we'll get into that. Later this week. Yeah, yeah, Gold. yeah. Well, there are plenty more free agency preview stuff coming. Gold gloves, Jordan. Yep. Tell me your thoughts. I don't really have to. Uh, yeah, no, I don't have too much. Uh, Gabriel Moreno winning was cool because I love him. I know people were pissed. Guess what? Patrick Bailey, he will win a gold glove at some point. Okay? It's okay. It's fine. Well, well the key for him is he has, he's going to have to hit enough to play enough to win a gold glove. So if he can do that, he will win one. I promise. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Ryan Hayes, he wins his first. I would love for him to start an 11-year streak, just like Nolan Arenado. That would be amazing. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, I mean, Volpe winning was uh, questionable, but good for him. <laughs> it's fine. Uh, and then Brenton Doyle is amazing. Oh, oh, and then the one more, like I know we've sort of glossed over it. Tatis winning is, is so great. Yeah. It's just a great reminder of like how much of a, a unique and just like totally unprecedented athlete that he was able to just be like, I'll just go win a gold glove in right field. Like, and, and he passed the eye test. That was no joke. He was fucking amazing out there. I like gold gloves when people get mad about them and it's so it it might be the most homer biased takes you see because it's these people who have genuinely watched a player be excellent defensively for an entire season Mm -hmm. and they feel slighted and there's no like okay so kevin kiermeyer winning over julio Mm -hmm. right if you watched a lot of julio this year you're probably like no way anybody's better well yeah guess what Probably somebody was better. That's fine. (laughs) You're not, especially defense too. Like it's like, it's so visceral because you're the only one watching it. So it's like, how could anybody, like I didn't see the other guy make any plays. It's like, yeah, because you watched three Blue Jays games. Which is fine. Which is fine. It's not your fault. But like there, there are so many great defenders. That's great. That's fine. Somebody has to win. Brenton Doyle winning is historic and notable. He was about as bad of an offensive player as you can be in the big leagues. He had a 250 on base percentage, a 52 OPS plus, 593 OPS. A 52 OPS plus is just. Well, that and that's obviously. Uh, cores related, yeah. Cores related because if you're bad at regularly bad, you're you're going to have a low OPS plus. If you're bad in Coors Field, now you're a special level. Was that, I'm quickly, I'm just going to do a quick stat head search. I believe that was the lowest OPS plus in the big leagues among players with 400 plate appearances. I'm going to check that right now. Uh, but yeah, he is amazing. The fa- Part of his uh, profile is that he also has the best arm of basically any outfielder by far. But to also have plus range while playing in Coors Field is amazing, and I love that it's like, you know what? Hell yeah, he absolutely deserved it, and I don't care if he's one of the worst hitters in baseball. Great player to have on a bad team. Oh, yeah, super fun. And and another one where I just mentioned, you know, Patrick Bailey, where it's like, you still have to play enough to get it, and for him to be that bad of a hitter and to get it is means he was playing like he's that good. They're like, yeah, who cares? Who cares if he's, he's hitting as bad as he is because we need him out there? Yes, he was. He had the lowest OPS plus by far. God, this bottom of this list is so depressing. Here, depressing way to end the podcast, Jake. Brent Doyle, 52 OPS plus, was the worst. Second worst, again, 400 plate appearances. Tim Anderson, 60. 62, Bryce Terang, Javier Baez, 62. Miguel Rojas, Martin Maldonado, Paul DeYoung, Miles Straw, Alex Call, Kike Hernandez. Uh, All right, Jake, we did it. We did a podcast. Thank you all for listening. We have so much more free agency stuff coming. We have so many fantastic emails coming. 
uh, so many, emails. I'm so hopefully we can, we can, you know, really take some time to do that. You can email us at baseballbarbacast at gmail.com. Also so Jordan, a lot of those. Yeah. You're coming. I'm coming to New York this week. Flying to New York. Haven't been to New York in a long time. We're going to be recording some podcasts in person. Wow. We will be at City Field for the Dominican Winter League exhibition. Crazy. Between Lise and Aguilas. I'm so excited for those games. Uh, we have all kinds of stuff coming up in person this weekend. And then, yeah, I mean, we, we are going to get some signings. Today, we're going to get the qualifying offers and the rest of the options and all that stuff. We'll cover that on Wednesday. Uh, but until we're going to talk about the Josh Hader hype video, so much to get to. But we think we... Did a good job of kind of covering the stuff that we missed. So we hope you enjoyed that. You can email us again, baseballbarbercast at gmail.com. If you like the pod, rate and review it wherever you listen to the podcast. We appreciate the support. We will definitely continue to be going at least three times a week, uh, maybe more if we need to, but that is the general plan for now. So expect to hear from us on Wednesday. Uh, so until then, thank you to Isabella Josen for producing. Chris Tyler will be back later this week. And uh, Jake Mintz, thank you for doing this podcast with me. And thank you, Brent Doyle, for winning the Gold Glove in 2023. Bye. Goodbye. Serious XM Podcasts.